right. Good morning. Um, if I haven't met you yet, I am Lisa Stonehouse, the pastor of discipleship and care here at Harbor Life, and it is a joy to be with you this morning. I don't know if anybody is following along um, on Brent's adventure um, in Israel, but Angela has posted a link a couple different times where it shows some pictures, and I saw that he got to do devotions by the Sea of Galilee, which is un- it had to have been unreal, so I can't wait to hear about him, but I just encourage you to pray for him um, in these last few days. Just He's in the places where Jesus was right now, and just that his, his life has changed through that. Um, This morning, we are starting a new series, and it's called Bad Theology. So how I am imagining this is that the theology we hold was shaped for us. Or as we get older and have had more life experiences, books we've read, people we talk with, things that happen to us, and how that shapes us, we create our own theology. Some of the theology we hold is truth, with a capital T, but some needs tweaking or refining. It's just kind of bad, or maybe it's a little off. It's just not true. So this series is going to work through things like when religion divides, when it becomes toxic, when we don't get what we want, when there aren't answers, when hope is lost. Like those are all really real things that we all feel. We'll talk about what we think, and we'll talk about maybe what we've been taught. We've been walking through Matthew since the beginning of December. We started with the genealogy of Jesus, his birth, his baptism, his time in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan. And then from there, Jesus began his ministry. If we remember, Jesus gave that really huge sermon, which has become known as the Sermon on the Mount, And in that message, he invited us into a new way of thinking. In it, he talked extensively about the kingdom of heaven, about heaven actually brushing earth here and now. Then Jesus did some pretty incredible miracles where bodies were healed, but we learned as we peeled back the layers, the healing went even deeper where souls and thoughts and ways of life were healed too. Woven throughout these stories of teachings and healings and miracles is how Jesus reveals and uses his authority. He teaches with authority. He orders demons around with authority. He says he has the authority to forgive sins. He uses his authority and demands that the winds and the waves obey him. But strands of compassion are tightly woven within this authority. The people in the story who get it, get what he's really and truly doing, who understand that depth of compassion, are the ones who understand his authority. They come to him boldly and humbly, needing him to use that authority to do something. The ones who get it are the lepers. They're the sick. They're the disciples in the boat or the demon-possessed man, the sinners, the tax collectors, the blind and the lame. They are the ones 
who are seemingly aware of their own brokenness. They recognize that Jesus has the compassion and the authority to do something. To step into that brokenness with the compassion and the authority to change something in their lives. And as, as we have been unraveling that story throughout what we've been reading in Matthew, our focus has been centered on Jesus. And then here, where we're going to start today in chapter 10, there's a turn, there's a shift. Jesus starts sending his disciples into the world. It's time for them to apply what he has taught them. There's a shift at this point of the gospel. Jesus healed, Jesus calmed the storm, Jesus raised the dead. Now it's their turn. Matthew reveals that he is not simply telling the story about Jesus. He's also telling it about the disciples. Jesus began to send his disciples to do the good work in the towns and villages as sent people. And it's crucial that we think about his words here too because he commissions us to live as sent people as well. We just read it in Olivia's baptism, but in Matthew 28 it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always. So, as followers of Jesus, living sent matters because it mattered to Jesus. Monday night, I was talking with my oldest, telling her that writing this message was really going to stretch me. I have never researched more. It's never taken me longer to write than this week. She asked me what I was talking about, and I said, theology or religion. I did ask Gabe's permission for this, but Gabe misheard me and yelled from the living room and said, lizards? At this point of the week, I thought writing a message on lizards was going to be way easier than writing a message on bad theology. But through study and conversations and wrestling with God, he showed up like he always does. And he revealed his heart through the scripture, these words, these harder words that we're going to read today. And I learned a lot. These verses that we're reading today are red letter words. Some Bibles have the words that Jesus spoke in red letters or red ink. All of the things I'm going to say today are red letters. So we know that this was a personal, intimate moment of Jesus sharing his heart one-on-one -on -one with his disciples. He spoke to his disciples before he sent them. These are words of there's some encouragement, there's some admonishment, and there's some pretty grim warnings. So we're going to break things down in sections of verses and walk through them. We'll start with the very end of chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I have shared this before, but the word compassion in the Bible, when it talks about Jesus feeling it, it's truly one of my favorite words. The Greek word for it is splognizomai. The first part of the word means internal organs. So, splognizomai literally means to be moved so deeply by something that you feel it in the pit of your stomach. It's a beautiful combination of love and compassion. It's far more than just pity. This emotion moves us so completely that we can physically feel it inside us. It's a strong response that we're compelled to respond with. There's nothing subtle or uncertain about it. It's a gut-wrenching emotional response that is so strong, we are physically moved to action. Splognizomize suggests that when we see a human need, we respond physically or emotionally, decisively. This kind of compassion isn't timid or subtle or a distant response. It's active. Hold fast to that word and the meaning and Jesus' heart as we move through some of this harder stuff, the more difficult things that we're going to read today. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I'm going to pause there just for a second to look at the word workers. That's the disciples. That's us. I was talking with my brother-in-law, Jordan, this week about this passage and what we were getting from the verses. And he made this really beautiful observation. He said, God chose to involve people in carrying the most important message in all of human history. I don't think that he needs us, but he 100% chose us to be the vehicle. How incredible is that? I thought that was such a beautiful insight. So then we go on. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them the authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Let's quick look, though, at the words disciples and apostles. What do they mean, and is there a difference? Disciples means a learner, a pupil, one who follows their leader's teachings. But apostle means a messenger, one sent out with a message to send forth. It's someone sent. So, as a disciple, they learned from Jesus. They were with him while he ministered. But as an apostle, they were sent by Jesus to minister themselves. There's definitely a difference between these two words. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, 
Matthew and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. This is the very first time that all 12 disciples are listed. So far, we only knew about the two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, who were fishermen. And then we were introduced to Matthew, who was the tax collector. And here, they're all listed, so we know who they are. These guys were not the balding, middle-aged, bearded men that we see represented in movies. They were most likely between the ages of 15 and 18. Peter was married, and Matthew held a job for the Roman government, so they were probably a bit older, but not too much. Jesus was only 30 when he began his public ministry as a rabbi. And the ages of men that he would disciple would be younger than him. There is a huge variety in the makeup of these disciples. There are fishermen, a Roman employee, Roman haters, zealots. There are sets of brothers. There are white-collar workers. There are blue-collar workers. These guys were not Pharisees or rabbis themselves. They weren't the religious people. They were everyday, ordinary guys young guys. But the thing that they all had in common was that they were called and equipped by Jesus. They had been following him for a while, and they were developing more and more into the people that Jesus was inviting them into. They'd been here the whole time, following Jesus from the side of the mountain, town to town. They went to that house and had a party with the sinners, to a house where he healed a couple of blind men. They'd been watching him teach, hearing him proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven. They watched him walk out the words of that sermon through healing, blind, lame, leopards. They were there the whole time, but they were always in the background. But now Matthew twists the lens of the camera, the focus shifts, and they suddenly jump from the background to the front of the story. Jesus sent out the 12 disciples with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. These words sound a lot like what Matthew had been telling us that Jesus was doing, right? Preach the kingdom of heaven and do miracles. But here, that plot thickens, and there's a pretty radical turning point in the story. The disciples aren't to just watch Jesus anymore or even go on learning from him. They're to go out and replicate his ministry, do what he is doing. The last few chapters in Matthew have been story after story that demonstrate that Jesus had authority. And now he gives that same authority to his disciples. Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority. This provokes a new, different kind of faith question. Up until now, all the stories have been about what people believe that Jesus could do for them. 
Do you believe that I am teaching the truth? Do you believe that I can heal your servant, your lameness, your blindness? Do you believe I can protect you from this storm? Do you believe I can forgive you from this sin? We spent our whole sermon last week looking at the questions what Jesus asked. What do you want me to do? And do you believe that I can do this? And now, all of a sudden, the question shifts for the disciples. And the question is, what do we believe that Jesus will do through us? That's a huge shift in thinking. But even while we recognize the difference in those questions, it's important to realize it's still a faith question. I wonder if it's a question you've ever asked yourself. Have you ever seen the value of you, the value of what he's placed on your life and dared to ask such a question? What do you believe that Jesus is going to do through you? I think it's worth thinking about. I think it's worth breathing life into. Do you believe that Jesus can use you, that he wants to, and he's inviting you in to step into that? So we just read that Jesus is sending the disciples to only go to the people of Israel. That was their starting point. In other words, the gospel had to go to the Jews first with the good news that the Messiah had come. If they went to the Gentiles first and told them that the Messiah had come, they would have asked, well, what do the Jews think about that? And if they had answered, well, we haven't told them yet, they would ask, why not? So what made sense that Jesus said, tell the Jewish people first. In this first sending out, Jesus told them to be with the lost sheep of Israel. The word lost holds the idea of perishing or dying. Jesus wasn't sending them on a simple, informational, sprinkle bits of good deed kind of mission. This was a rescue mission for their souls. That's pretty profound. That's how badly the world still needs Jesus. The disciples were with Jesus in Galilee when he told them this. The Gentiles were to the north, and the Samaritans were to the south. Jesus tells them, stay here, bring the good news to the lost that are right here. And then he tells them, in verse 9, don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you enter a city or a village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. 
So, basically what Jesus was saying to them is, don't take money, don't take extra clothes along with you, I'll take care of you. Find people who are open to listening. If they don't, it's okay to move along. Trust me, this message matters. In verse 16, Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flagged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and the other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond, or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And the disciples still went on the mission after, after those words. Like, that's brave. Wouldn't you want to just talk, tail and run after hearing that? Jesus was incredibly honest with his words here. You're going to be like sheep with some wolves wanting to destroy you. You'll stand trial. You'll be abused because of me. But don't be anxious about what to say. I will give you the words. I will speak through you. Trust me, this message matters. Verse 21. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth. The Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. All kinds of terrible things will happen to you because you follow me and because you share the good news. Betrayal, you'll be hated, persecuted, called names. Don't be afraid. Truth will win out. Share the good news. Shout it from the rooftops. Trust me, this message matters. Verse 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. 
But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't be afraid. Who you are, what's in your soul, your relationship with me, they can't touch it. Hold fast to that. Honor God. He knows every hair on your head, every freckle on your body, every thought that you think. You are so valuable to him. He knows you intimately. Share the good news that there's hope and there's heaven. Trust me. This message matters. Don't imagine that I come to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Wait. That's a huge part of the Christmas story, right? The Prince of Peace, we sing peace on earth, goodwill to men. The Bible says he himself is our peace. And now Jesus is saying, I didn't come to bring peace. In John we read, I came so that you would have life and life abundantly. And isn't peace a huge part of that abundant life? I think it is. So what is Jesus saying? As an Enneagram 9, peace is my jam. It is what I long for. I did not like this verse this week at all. And at this point is when I really was wishing I was talking about lizards. But Jesus had to mean something good here, right? So I looked up the word sword. The thing that Jesus is referring to here is the Greek term makaira, which is most often used for large knives such as those used by fishermen. But guess what? That word for sword is the exact same word used in Ephesians 6 for sword. This is Ephesians 6, verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the devil, resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is so good. Jesus was coming as a sword was a good thing. Jesus knew we would not be fighting only against flesh and blood. He knew there would be darkness and sin and spiritual warfare all around us. But because of Jesus, because of him as the word wrapping himself in flesh, he came as the word of God, a sword. 
He came as a sword, knowing his word, using that sword, applying it to how we walk out our life changes us. When we dig deep into scripture, when we allow the truth, the blade of that sword, shape and mold us, how we think and how we feel, we are changed. We become more and more and more like Jesus. And when we are changed, we don't want to keep that to ourselves. We want others to feel it too. In Hebrews we read, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Yes, sometimes our belief in Jesus can divide. It can separate us from people. But that's what Jesus is inviting us to step into. Being good news. Bringing good news. The world needs Jesus. The world needs us to share Jesus. When I was a little girl, my dad had a Buick Riviera. It was a deep orange, almost rust color. And I thought that car was so cool. I found a picture as close to it as I, this is what it looked like. Um, Steve Green was the guy of Christian music back then. And my dad always listened to his music way louder than my mom, and that was so cool. One of his favorite songs was People Need the Lord. He'd pop that tape in and we would belt it out. Those words were running through my head this week as I was writing this. And yesterday morning when I was tweaking the message, I listened to it and surprise, I couldn't help but get teary. But it was for the nostalgia, I think, that welled up inside me. But there was also tender conviction. Sure, I get up here and I talk about Jesus, but is his message truly burning inside me so much that I trust him enough that this message matters outside of this step? Is my life a testimony to his goodness? Am I walking that out in the places that I go? Am I consistently sharing the stories of where Jesus showed up in my life? I'm fairly good at answering the questions we talked about last week. What do you want me to do? And do you believe that I can do this? But what about the question, what do I believe that Jesus will do through me? This world needs Jesus. We need him. We need his word to guide and shape and mold the patterns of our thoughts and our behaviors. His word is a weapon against the junk and the darkness of this world. His word is alive and it's powerful. We need his word to help tell us what to say, to give us the ways to walk out his truth to give us the courage to share this message with the people that are in our lives. He sent his disciples to share the good news. 
And as followers of Jesus, we too are his disciples, his apostles, and he's sending us. God's word changes us. It changes people. And it has the power to change this world. He whispers to us, trust me, this message matters. So what is the bad theology in all of this? I wonder if the bad theology is that Jesus says some pretty weird stuff sometimes and we just decide that it's not worth looking into. It's not worth digging deeper. I wonder if it's some of this weird stuff that he says, the stuff that we don't understand, make us hold our faith privately. Being private with it, not offending someone. What if our bad theology is that we think this message doesn't really matter? What if our bad theology keeps people from meeting Jesus? What if our deciding that it doesn't really matter keeps someone from seeing the light, from feeling the joy and the peace and having hope that this message of the gospel brings? I wonder if bad theology is not remembering that sharing our faith stories matter. I wonder if our bad theology is, what do I believe that Jesus will do through me? And we are content to answer, I don't know. Does it really matter? But if it mattered so much to Jesus 2,000 years ago, it still matters today. Last week, we talked about what about asking Jesus to help us see where he was in the midst of our lives. That is what a faith story is. That's all. That's all it is, is seeing where Jesus shows up and sharing it. It's not a foghorn, a microphone, a sandwich board kind of thing. It's not some eloquent speech. It's having a cup of coffee with someone. It's sitting around a bonfire just talking. It's fixing something with someone or going for a walk and having conversation. You don't have to be eloquent when you're sharing your faith. You just have to be humble, be real. Share the truth. Share where you've seen Jesus show up in your life. Share why that matters, how you've been changed. Jesus tells us that when we share his message, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be persecution sometimes. There's going to be people who don't listen, that don't seem to care. And even though we can expect that, we don't need to be afraid. Trust me, he says, this message matters. Not everyone will like our story. Not everyone will like hearing the name Jesus, hearing what we have to say. But that's not a reason to keep our stories and this good news to ourselves. Telling people this message, this is the only message in this world that will bring healing, bring transformation, bring restoration. It saves people. Nothing else can. 
The bottom line is people need Jesus. And if we don't share our faith, the stories of where Jesus showed up in our lives with the people that God brings our way, then who will? Trust him. This message matters. We started today with these words. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These are the people he was moved with compassion to meet where they were. These were the people he sent his disciples as apostles to share their stories with. These are the kinds of people he's inviting us to have that same compassion for, to tell our stories to, to tell his story to. Trust him. This message matters. These are some of the lyrics to the song I was telling you about. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries, only Jesus here. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord? We are called to take his light to a world where wrong seems right. What could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Trust him. This message matters. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that your heart, your message, your love for people will burn inside us so much that we aren't quiet about our faith stories. We aren't quiet to share where you showed up. God, I ask for the courage to do that humbly and freely with love and with kindness. And God, I ask for forgiveness for not doing that as readily as what you called us to. God, help us to believe that this message, this message you gave us, this message we hold inside matters. Help us to trust you enough in your precious name.